Welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. (laughs) This is Mix Bell Morrigan. I am your host and I am joined by the wonderful Katie, who is the host of the podcast, Who Did What Now? So if you could introduce yourself, Katie, like, you know, maybe what your pronouns are and a bit, explain a bit what you do with your own podcast, that would be wonderful. Do my best. Uh, I'm suddenly very nervous like when I do my own stuff I'm absolutely fine I don't care but suddenly I'm like oh no expectations <laughs> but yeah I uh my pronouns are she her um but I also accept they them uh it's kind of easy was there with that one and um my history my podcast is a history podcast uh the tagline is it's not your history class uh I try to talk about stuff that you don't hear about in history class and I also have a corresponding um TikTok which actually Mm -hmm. seems to be helping the podcast more than anything else but um basically what I started doing was because there's so much information and you can't fit everything in especially when you're Mm -hmm. talking about you know history because there's a lot of it Mm -hmm. yes yes there is as a general rule (laughs) there's quite a bit of it and so I was like, oh, I'll just do bits and pieces here and it'll just be like a fun little side thing. And then that kind of blew up <laughs> quite a bit, I think. Yeah, um, but it's really boosted the podcast as well, which has been really nice. Um, I didn't do an episode last week because I got suddenly called back into work. Um, so, yeah, no, that's actually kind of leads me to kind of the first kind of question that I had kind of jotted down was like when it came to starting the podcast, like with your motivation for it, was it just like kind of like a general love for the subject of history or was it more that you kind of felt that there was something lacking from how the subject is taught in schools? So you wanted to come at it from a different angle. Well, that's given me much more credit than I deserve. <laughs> uh, yeah, effectively what happened was I just really like history and I thought, well, you know what, um, I, I want to tell stories and I, I want to tell pieces of history. Anyway, I want to talk about the stuff that interests me. Right? And mm-hmm. a lot of the time when you listen to history podcasts or you're learning about history in general, it tends to be quite old white straight man. Uh, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's very <laughs> an old white straight man. I call it the silver, the silver haired man special. And they tend to be very dry and it's always Mm. the same stuff. It's always, it's always the same thing. And, and I actually wasn't aware really when I started doing it, because I started doing it, I was like, you know what, I'm going to get to it. It's a passion of mine. I love history. I studied history Mm. in uni along with, because I'm, I'm technically I'm a social scientist. Technically that is my qualification um, with degrees in sociology and psychology with diplomas in history and social geography. 
So, because I thought, oh, I'll get more work with sociology and psychology. Uh, and that, that, didn't, that didn't happen, no. <laughs> but like, I always loved history. It was my favorite mm-hmm. subject in school. I'm actually very lucky as well because I'm Scottish and I live in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And also I was taught history from both a British perspective and from an Irish perspective. Right. So when yes. it comes to a lot of a lot of pieces of history that involve both of those subjects, I'm actually mm-hmm. the perfect person to talk about <laughs> it because the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And one of my main focuses when I was studying history was propaganda. So that was what I was very interested in. So propaganda and uh, false information and things like that. Right. Which makes it easier for me to talk stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as eloquently as other people, but... Uh, <laughs> but yeah no that's that's wonderful I, like I just rambled on there for a minute no rambling in like I'm a philosopher I did philosophy in uni so rambling is like what I do so I always think rambling is a great thing um but <laughs> my first year my first year we had to do um what was it social geography environmentalism uh, psychology sociology research methods politics and philosophy and I feel mm. like there was something else as well. Oh, they didn't understand the leaving cert properly. So I had to reset English and maths. Oh, jeez. Which was super fun. I did great. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> not to blow my own trumpet, but, you know, <laughs> blew them out of the water. They were very surprised that I had comprehensive grasp of both mathematics and English, which is surprised to all of us, really, but it's fine. <laughs> But I dropped philosophy after the first year because I just, the way we were being taught it was like, this is Aristotle. This is what Aristotle believed. Yeah, I learned more about philosophy from the Bruce and Bruce philosophy from Monty Python than I did from that entire year of that. Yeah, no, like uh, that's definitely kind of like, it was one of the motivations for me wanting to kind of start this podcast is like, like to me, like philosophy is one of the most like kind of important subjects for humans and for society because it teaches the skills like analytical thinking and critical thinking and I think a lot of the you know the rising that we've seen in like far right movements and all that Mm. I think a lot of that would have probably been avoided if there was more kind of focus on critical thinking skills in a young age. Well that's it if we focused more on the humanities as well then like that's where all that critical thinking comes in as well. Yes. That's where I found sociology like even the very basics of sociology I found very very useful because you had the option of you learned about socialization and conditioning and Mm -hmm. bringing yourself out with a situation to understand why you know say for example this culture has this perspective and why the other culture has this very opposite perspective or why like certain things align you know and I found that very very fascinating but yeah no I think what you were saying there is like the different things that you learn in the humanities at large and those type of subjects are really important and I kind of just I like hate the whole like oh well are you an art student like you know that kind of thing that you used to face when you were in college and it was just like I'm learning about really important things just because it doesn't have like a typically like as in realistically if you're doing the humanities unless you're going into academia you don't have like a clear and obvious jump into a career Mm. but the skills you pick up are really important like you know so even if like you're not working in the field you studied you still have those skills that 
can make you good at whatever work you're doing or also as well it can at least make you more receptive and you'll question news sources that you'll see on social media (laughs) as as well they are they are transferable skills yes so not only like say for example like you obviously you you study research you study how to research you Mm. study just perception perception was a very big thing and it's actually been really handy for me some of the stuff I learned in psychology because uh, I studied a lot of um, cognitive behavioural stuff and childhood attachment and things like that, which was actually very handy for me now as a parent, mm. which is, I, I always add the fact that I'm a parent later on, because when you first introduce yourself as a parent, like especially within Western society, mm. suddenly you're, 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 for me, I would just be seen as a mum. And that, yes. is, that is the top of the pyramid there. And everything else sort of trickles down drop it in later on like this but uh yeah a lot of it has become very handy and if you're studying psychology like the psychology led to like psychology of sales which actually helps in a retail environment including like visual merchandising like so there's there is a practical application for a lot of the skills that you learn within the humanities and as long as you get somebody who's very good at writing cvs you can wing it in there exactly you can you can tweak it to any Mm -hmm. any extent to make yourself look the most employable person ever the fact that we have to be employed in our capitalist system is another thing that grinds my gears constantly but once we figure out how to work the system well that's it that's in sociology in sociology we did we did discuss uh we did discuss all of those like capitalism and marxism and functionalism although I maintain that capitalism is just another form of functionalism but going back to as you said that you always kind of had this love for history is like is there like a particular kind of like time period in history that you have a fondness for that like when you're going to research topics or even just talking about history in general that you always find yourself kind of returning to and is there like a reason that that specific time period is your go-to one of my one of my like proper personal favorites has to be um, well, two eras actually, the the sort of mid mid war period of World War Two in in America, especially mm-hmm. LA, I find that uh, sort of that sort of the way that it sort of revolves around that, I find that very fascinating. Um, so generally, that sort of nineteen thirties, nineteen forties, but another thing. I- really really enjoy is enjoy is probably a terrible way to say it but at turn of the century turn of the century crime I find very fascinating sort of a late Victorian era sort of that kind of way I and that I think literally just stems from a very macabre sense of, of obsession with the Jack the Ripper I think is where it all started mm. it literally started there I'm not gonna like when I was a kid, I was really into like ancient Egypt, like really Egypt. And then I was really into sort of uh, the Tudor period. Mm-hmm. And then for the last decade, it's probably been more so, you know, the turn of the century and also the sort of mid-war period. Cool. No, like, um, like, like when you mentioned ancient Egypt, I think that's definitely something to do with when you're, I don't know, younger, like I was the same, like, the ancient kind of civilizations like ancient mm. Egypt, ancient Rome, Greece, those type of time periods. Like I was just mm. absolutely fascinated and loved those like when I was younger. So when it came to like studying history in like secondary school, 
the fact that most of it didn't really touch on that at all. It was more modern history. I was just like, but I want to learn about all the old people. And it's just like, no, 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 that's not what we're teaching you now. It's just like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember, like, I, I barely remember anything from studying Irish history. Unless I go back and, like, refresh. Like, mm. I can't tell you off the top of my head, apart from Parnell was somehow involved. And the only reason that I remember Parnell so much is because of boycotts, because of how boycotts started. And that's that's how I remember that but otherwise and I'm fairly certain you had an affair with somebody but other than that I'm kind of like yes and like I feel like sometimes I always feel kind of terrible about it but like when it's talking about Irish history so much of Irish history I just found so boring and I don't know if it was the fact that it was the actual information or if it was as you said kind of the way it's delivered and taught if that kind of as you said the silver your what was your phrase the silver the silver haired <laughs> the, the silver haired man yeah the, like that type of so much of I Irish history was just that's, from that's that that's very much a problem when it comes to history because history is very it's a problem with the exam system in general I think mm. because exams are not an appropriate method of, of understanding intelligence or understanding knowledge at the at the very least yes. because all you're doing is regurgitating information Apart from maths, maths is the yes. only time I think that, or science, because if there's a practical application to what you're doing, then obviously it makes sense. But exams in general, they don't have that. It doesn't make any sense. And you are taught to regurgitate and maintain that, to regurgitate, mm, uh, like <laughs> names, places, dates. That's it. And yeah. you have to know them. And if you don't know them, you're stupid. And that bothers me so much because as well as everything else, um, I didn't know this at the time. I only re- I got only got diagnosed a few years ago. Um, I have ADHD. So certain, which explains the hyper-focusing on stuff, but does it kind of makes it, oh, that's why you were easily distracted about the very dry way they were teaching history. But Irish history is so fascinating, which is su- such a shame, the manner in which it's taught because I remember if it wasn't for my history teacher who was just a gem he was such a gem I think he's retiring this year actually if he hadn't been as into it I don't know if I would have even passed history that year like apart from the stuff about World War II because that's just me and my hatred for Winston Churchill (laughs) (laughs) it's a seeming I could have been dead at this point (laughs) But that's um, actually a really good point as well. I think, like, in general, like, first, like you said, I completely agree about exams or I just don't see the point in them because, like, it is. It's teaching someone how to regurgitate information. It's not actually teaching them how to understand or learn the information. It's just, can you memorise these bits of information and throw them back out at us <laughs> that's mm-hmm. all we need to know and like I completely agree that exams or for for most subjects are pointless but it's another thing that you said there about your teacher and I think how your teacher how they teach is another important thing about how receptive you are to whatever subject you're doing but I think particularly history because history is one of those ones where the teacher is either a huge history head and is really into it so that makes it you mm-hmm. makes you have that excitement or they just landed in that subject, but they don't really have a 
they don't have that care. And yeah. if you have that teacher, you're not really going to have that care or passion for history either. <laughs> mm. I just found that, like, we he ended up organising, like, walking tours of Dublin for us. We travelled down from Donegal to, like, a walking tour of Dublin, and we went to, like, Cumanum Jail and everything. And, and I remember standing outside the GPO and, like, putting my fingers in the bullet holes and just feeling something, and it just meant something to me. That whole situation hadn't happened, then I'm not sure I would have been able to even remember half as much uh, something somebody said to me I, I get I get some you know dodgy comments because you do because it's the internet and that's mm. that's how it works but like I get some really lovely ones um like I get comments about like how they wish I was their history teacher and I'm like if I was your history teacher I would have got fired a long time ago <laughs> because I swear far too much and I haven't sworn at all during this and I'm very proud of myself I was like don't don't so end curse words you can do it no um but yeah I think like uh one thing swearing I'm completely on in team swear if you need to swear so if you need to that's a fully fine (laughs) I'm very pro swearing (laughs) and I think they add flavor to a conversation (laughs) or like they help emphasize a point I'm trying trying to be good I'm like don't 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 (laughs) call people but don't say the words you know the ones you know the bad ones don't say them and the same words with your accent like or better depending and uh, depending on the context yes <laughs> um but uh actually like almost the opposite as you said that you have this kind of seething hatred <laughs> for Churchill so I on did. the flip on the flip side of that is like because he's one of those figures that everyone knows about and they probably don't know the right things about him, but everyone knows who Churchill is. He's one of those figures that's just so famous to the point mm. that people, like the police are more concerned about protecting his statue than, you know, people who are protesting. But that's another point altogether. But um, the, kind of, the question I had kind of on the flip side of it is, like, is there a historical figure that you wish more people knew about? And do you think there's a specific reason that less is known about them? Because as you said, so much of history is kind of from this specific weird man perspective exactly as in that's all we get but there's so much more colorful era Uh, hmm okay well you said that uh you you liked that kind of la during world war ii Mm -hmm. period so is there someone from there that you wish that's you wish more people knew about well i had a this i think it's probably better to talk about the turn of the century stuff, actually. Okay, cool. Yeah, go because, to turn of the century. Like, for example, uh, the Jack the Ripper scenario. Mm-hmm. So, and everyone is obsessed with who Jack the Ripper was. And my issue is that we focus so much on him or her or whoever they, uh, whoever they could have been. And we focus on that and like say for example during the time of the Ripper murders there were a group of young girls and children who went missing in the West Ham area Mm. around about sort of before (laughs) I'm trying to be serious cats! Binky you're making it difficult for me (sighs) It's like I want to be on the podcast (laughs) I'm telling you like they're supposed to be locked back in the kitchen but someone has let them loose fine it's fine it's not fine but we'll we'll power through 
And um, like, it's really funny because you can actually see in the bookcase behind me, um, The Five by Harley Rubenhold, who, which is about the five canonical victims of Jack the Ripper. Huh? Yeah, so you can actually see that. <laughs> Clearly, uh, <laughs> it's there. And I think as well, there are just so many people in history, because history is about people and we don't really hear about them. Dear listeners, I would like to um, offer a humble apology for the the sounds of wailing cats in the background. <laughs> uh, they, apparently, they are starved for attention and uh, feel like they should have their 15 minutes of fame, but they can suck it. But I think like people actually recommend quite a lot. I get quite a lot of recommendations of people I should look up because mm. especially there are so many figures who are from their locale, which mm-hmm. we don't hear about, especially, say, us in a predominantly uh, Christian Western society. And also, you and I, we are the human equivalents of mayonnaise. Like, we are we are yeah. whiter than Taylor Swift's dancing, both of us. Yeah. Like, that's just how it is. And yeah. Neither of us should be in the sun for too long, it's all I'm saying. And um, Correct. So, Very like, much so. The way that we... So we wouldn't necessarily learn about so many figures and what I discovered, especially after when I posted my infamous Mother Teresa video, which I didn't expect to be controversial because I forgot that fanatics exist. And um, you know, when you, when you know information and you've known it for a long time, you don't really expect it to have any sort of huge impact. You're like, oh, yeah, somebody will be like, yeah, that's cool. Or you know, you're wrong and, and move on. Um, but, but but now I think it's on like it's it's got over two million views and um, I did get a couple of death threats from it but that's neither here nor there and um, <laughs> so um, when I posted that video I had a lot of people mentioning like other nuns and other saints who were um, who who I really should be looking at instead of um, Mother Teresa who was a bitch and. Um, <laughs> I was I was waiting for that. I was just like, we're gonna have we're gonna hear it. Yes, we did. Okay, that's perfect. <laughs> and my issue is like, say for example, we um it's kind of like the controversy with m- me trying to do that teaching video regarding Genghis Khan and how it was to do with um the manner in which we portray figures in history to align with our confirmation bias. Um, mm. just shows how we can show a negative person in a positive light because if that was the only information you were being told then you don't have an outward perspective of it and it's kind of like how um Churchill back to Churchill Churchill is seen as this great amazing hero who like saved saved the world when he barely saved England and you know massacred children like the documentation is there he denied his own troops ammo he sent the anzac forces to be fodder for cannons like i could have said cannon fodder but no and you know and yet all we are ever pushed is this you know uh, cigar two fingers up ha 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 dude um and the only representation of Churchill I will accept is either the dog, <laughs> oh yes, or the Christian Slater movie, Churchill, the Hollywood years, which is... <laughs> Interesting. Okay, I haven't heard of that awful. one. It is <laughs> awful, awful, but okay. glorious. Um, awful and glorious. That's always a good mix sometimes. It can work out well for movies. <laughs> but actually, you make a good point there 
which is kind of it go, goes into a kind of a question that I kind of had. You were saying that we are just given this one image of Churchill or mm-hmm. of any kind of historical figure. We're given this one image, and that's all we're told. And I think it kind of comes back to like this is the question I kind of wrote down, which is like you know they always say that history is written by the victor. I think you know similarly, it's also written by like the colonizer so like you know how do we approach reading history that comes from people in power like do you think do you feel that there would still be some form of object objectivity when it's coming from people who are in power or would you say facts are like omitted or even obscured to push a certain narrative oh always Hmm. uh you know yourself when you, when you when you study any of the humanities, you are taught to be as impartial and focus on empirical data as much as possible. This is the dry part, and um, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, we are all biased. We are, and no matter what we do, regardless yeah. of how objective we try and be, we end up being subjective. And this is actually something I want to talk about at some point. Anyway, was um, I like to follow um, the, the sort of the black swan theory. Uh, you know the one? No, actually, I don't think I'm familiar with it. So please explain it. I'm um, going to I'm going to paraphrase it and and maybe bugger it up a wee bit. But it's basically that if you want to prove that no black swans exist, um, like if you think there are only white swans, if you go out and try and prove there's only white swans, then all you're going to find is white swans. But right. if you're trying to prove, so if you believe that only white swans exist what you have to do is actively go against your 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 personal um, perspective and you have to attempt to find the black swans in order you have to go against your own bias really that's how i think history how we it should be researched and how the information should be found but that's just not how it works most of the time and i know they say that history is written by the victor but the history is written on the other side. It's just not promoted as much. It's like, for example, the information we have regarding sort of uh, the colonization of America, for mm-hmm. example, and uh, things like Lewis and Clark and their their trek, whatever they did, they did a thing that I keep forgetting about. <laughs> I know it when I I know it when I research it, and then I forget it again because I'm like, yeah, okay, two white dudes shagged their way up the. Up the river. Not, not that interesting to me. They both they both got diseases. Why are we surprised? And um but the what their diaries suggest is that the the native people uh willingly shared um their women with them because uh, they didn't see sex as a as a sort of taboo subject and it was a way of absorbing other cultures. Mm-hmm. But we don't have the native perspective on that. Like we don't have that perspective. I mean, there. I do know this. There's this fantastic um, professor. Um, his name. Uh, his name is Rue de Lesson, and he. Um, he's he's from the the Catawba Nation. I probably pronounced that incorrectly. And uh, he discusses things like the whitewashing of history and mm. stuff like that. Because I actually con- connected with him over the concept of Romanoque. Okay. Because it, everyone's like, what happened? It's a mystery. And it's like, well, look at this tribe over there with blue eyes and blonde hair. I wonder where <laughs> these children came from. Could they perhaps be from the only other white people that were here? I just, 
exactly. gonna look over there, lads. No, no, they're definitely lost. Oh, they're definitely lost. Okay. Definitely something supernatural happened here. And all let's all focus on the one word that was written in the tree. Croatoan. Oh, you mean the name <laughs> of that island that's just over there where those other blonde kids are at? <laughs> exactly. Like, look to your left, guys. That's all you had to do. Just look over there. You've been exactly. away for three years. What did you expect? Oh, four years. It was four years. It's like, oh. But yeah, it's just, it's stuff like that. And like a lot of Irish history was lost, especially because of British colonization. And mm-hmm. a lot of history was rewritten. It feels like I'm gunning for the Catholic Church again, but it's not my intention to be gunning for the Catholic Church. It's just they do a lot of bad shit and it's not yeah, like they no. do. They they one hundred percent they do and like I think it's it's probably something that I always kind of cycle back to. I'm always kind of maybe it's a bias of my own that I tend to gun for the Catholic Church because something that like I want to kind of achieve with my own podcast is like because I genuinely believe that like being able to have open and honest kind of dialogues and conversations about sex and sexuality is a really good positive thing that society needs mm-hmm. and. Ireland, we are such a sex-negative country because we're still living with the shame that we're the Catholic Church very, has punched very into us. Repressed. Very repressed, which is so frustrating. <laughs> it's help, like, help. So yeah, the Catholic Church are definitely um, guilty of a lot of wrongs. Like, so I don't think we have to feel bad about cunning for the Catholic Church. I know. I, I, I know. It's just like so, people seem to think that I'm, I'm sort of like my my whole goal is just be like ah. Christianity is bad I'm like inherently like from a very base structure not bad crusades though not cool you know I mean yeah (laughs) exactly it's just like you've kind of taken a lot of things out of context (laughs) like it's just you've perverted your own writing it's it's like I actually I actually want to start studying um Judaism to have a better to have a better understanding of it because my great-grandfather fled Poland just before okay. World War II. So, oh yeah, I got, I got a look. This is, I may look as Irish as can be because I'm so pale, um, but there's just like, as far as I know, there's, um, I have a great, great grandmother who was mixed race. Don't know what she was mixed with, but she was mixed race. The Irish just to look it all down. And then I had a Polish Jew great grandfather that's a really what you kind of mentioned earlier and touched on earlier is a very good point as well that you were saying that we always bring those kind of subjective biases to the research that we're doing even if it's unintentional it's still something that we're doing and like I think why there's a lot of like you know issues I guess with you know social issues whether it's like racial issues or Mm -hmm. trans issues a lot of people kind of have their own internal biases Mm -hmm. that they're not like kind of reflecting on but they're not turning the mirror inwards on so they're kind of approaching these topics from a very specific mindset which they have with these internal biases that they might not even realize are Mm -hmm. biases they kind of just think oh well that's just you know how the thing should be and it's like have you questioned why that you think that or you know it's just yeah, people always have, have a sense the bias normalcy to it mm. but it's just how you're it's it's all conditioning basic conditioning treatment and um 
my point was Judaism. <laughs> That's what it was. I was like, oh, I didn't understand and have a better, better understanding of Judaism to understand my heritage more, which was kind of where I was going with that. And also I think having, I think you can't really discuss or, or, or question anything with regards to um, a particular religion without having any knowledge of it. Um, so I, I went to Sunday school. Like I, I went to church, I went to Sunday school. I had my own little Bible. I had at least three Bibles growing up. I had a ladybird Bible, it was illustrated, it was very nice. Um, I used to draw pictures from it. And I used to like, I had a little book of Psalms and things like that. And I could quote pieces of scripture growing up. The one thing I do know about the difference between like Christianity and Judaism is that in Judaism, you were taught to question the Torah. You were taught to, you were taught to ask questions and to have a better understanding. But when it comes to Christianity, you're not supposed to ask anything. And that's where my issue was. And I felt, oh my God, I'm personal now. I remember, being, I remember being really mad about having to do my confirmation because I was like, I was like, why am I doing this? And my teacher kept saying, well, because you're confirming your faith in God. And I'm like, but I haven't confirmed my faith in God because no one is answering my questions. I keep getting told it's like it's like gaslighting from, hmm. you know, I don't want to say like just from above, like in everyone around you, especially what this would have been the 90s, mid 90s, uh, late 90s, sometime in the 90s. Who knows? I don't remember how old I am. And uh, I don't remember. And um, so it's the whole thing. And it was it's just there's no option for questioning. And I think that's where, like, if you want to teach Christianity and you want to bring people up with the concept of Christianity, Catholicism, uh, Anglican, whatever, you need to have the opportunity to ask and answer questions. Like, I'm not here to shit on anybody's religion, apart from Mormons. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, they're, they're consistently the, the boss of the joke. <laughs> <laughs> but um but no it's like that's like such a good point and i think you said it is kind of like a gaslighting thing like anytime that i like had questions about uh like christianity and like the catholic faith anytime i would have questions either when i was younger just about catholicism because that's what i was raised with or just about christianity in general the same answer was always given back was you just need to read the bible as in like reading the bible is what's going to give you your like that's what will give you the answers you're looking for and i which version <laughs> which one <laughs> i mean clearly anything but king james but which one the spicy exactly. bible the sp oh. my favorite is the spicy bible <laughs> Uh, it's my favorite one because it it uh, there was a misprint apparently um, that made you, which basically said thou shalt commit adultery. I appreciate <laughs> well, that. If it's, we're not supposed to question, if we're not supposed to question the Bible, well then, like it's it's giving there's the like, permission. There's only six of them in existence now, and two of them are part of private collections. And I don't, no, two of them are on display, and the other four are in private collections. But I really want to go right. see the Spetsy Bible. I just feel like that. I, I feel like it'd be worth it, you know. Possibly, possibly. Um, <laughs> I like, it would just at least be like worth the, the kind of going. Ah, so it did actually happen, uh -huh. Like mm -hmm. just for that alone. Just to but, picture me in front of it with thumbs up, just like ah, <laughs> you made adultery. <laughs> but um, but yes, like it's just that 
gaslighting of read the Bible and you'll know. And I just don't understand that, which is, oh, it's very frustrating. But I just like genuinely have like a hill of many hills that I will die on is that uh, I don't think anyone should be able to be raised in a specific faith. Like I think kids should be raised like with access to all faiths as in, in a, from a purity kind of like, these are all the different religions and what each one means. And then once you reach a certain age, usually probably maybe 12 when you have that kind of ability to be able to kind of make decisions about Mm -hmm. what you think about yourself and your own personhood, then you can be like, "Hmm, of all these ones I was offered with, this is the one that I like the most. And I think I want to go with this one or none of these appeal to me and faith in general doesn't it like that's what you know in a deal society that's how everyone would be raised but <laughs> we see the, the kind of school we'll see my kids are at um well my boy is at my girl isn't at, she's going next year they're at an educate together school and what it and what those yeah uh-huh. I, used, uh-huh. I used to go to one when I was younger and it was like like oh like I went from to an educate together from up until third class and then we moved so that meant I moved from an educate together which was this beautiful like kind of like as you know because your kids go there this Mm -hmm. like just creates this beautiful atmosphere of like acceptance and stuff like that I went from that to Catholic school (laughs) so it was complete change (laughs) yeah I mean my boy is really into the environment he's only six and he's like really into the environment um, but they, you know, they, they celebrate like the holy days of each um, religion. Mm-hmm. And if, say, for example, a specific child in the class has that religion, um, they will make, you know, they will, uh, or, you know, the culture, a cultural days as well, if they are relevant to uh, the heritage of anybody in class, especially, they'll, they'll make a bigger deal about it and they'll teach about it. And they're open and they allow questions um it's also why my son is convinced that um santa claus the baby jesus and a caveman um spent the first christmas uh, around burn uh, basically a log fire made out of christmas trees um because like he was like this is clearly what happened and i'm like sure if that's what you think <laughs> that's how you feel it is like uh, I actually did get both of my kids baptized because they were on a four-year waiting list to get into the Educate Together school, but it had moved to a bigger building, luckily, like just before the thing. So both of them are fine there. But like I was like, just in case, before the law came in, uh, right, yeah. like, I was like, just in case, I need to be able to get them into the school. I need to get them in because I can't. So, but luckily I didn't have to go through any of any of the nonsense like my my family were like oh what are you going to do if they go to the catholic school and then they have to uh like do communion and stuff and i was like but they don't have to because when i was at a catholic school there was like protestants and there and they didn't have to do it so i don't see why he would have to do it you know it's just you can just write a letter and go do not involve Mm. my child in this like, please stop taking them to church and please teach him how to count. Thank you very much. Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, but no, just when you mentioned that about the law, I was so relieved when they eventually did bring that in because that's another problem that's, like, again, so much, I think so much of, like, my 
issues like when it comes to why I'm so vocal about talking about being open about sex sexuality gender queerness and all that is because it's like almost like a rejection of like the forced Christianity that I was raised with and so much of that is that parents like up until recently with the new law parents were forced to be like the only way my kid gets an education is if I indoctrinate them into this faith yeah. that I don't agree with. I had to get which... a priest to dunk my baby, like, you know what I mean? In oh. order to ensure that <laughs> they got an education. I mean, it's, yeah. I tried homeschooling. And this is the thing. People are like, no, you're great. No, my kids do not think that. <laughs> I mean, they, they understand very basic things. I don't hold a pen properly. I hold a pen like a paintbrush. And... Uh, I'm like, somebody needs to like show my child how to hold a pencil because I can't do it. And it turns out it's actually a form of um, just a, a motor skill thing that I never picked up when I was a kid because I have ADHD that was not diagnosed until I was almost 30. <laughs> I love that like the whole point, you're like, oh yeah, I talk about sex and stuff. We haven't even talked about sex once. <laughs> we haven't even gone near it. We're this like, is true, yeah. <laughs> we'll skip around it. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> I'm here ratting about Christianity stuff <laughs> and Churchill. <laughs> I, I I just I love the way that just like every time you say Churchill, there's like that hint of anger. Like you can't hide it, which I just love. Like it's just I I don't think I hated him as much until I started discussing him on the internet because every time. It's just this wave of, of Union Jacks, which just come and show up and just be like, rebel, 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 rebel. I was like, all right. And they're like, oh, oh, go back to school, love. And I'm like, uh, both my degrees would like to tell you to go fuck yourself. And um, like, uh-huh. I'm sorry. Do you? Oh, is this the only way you can get a pretty girl to talk to you? I'm so sorry, love. And um, like, it's just, <laughs> they also do not like it when you're confident. Uh, especially mm-hmm. when you're not, uh, how to put this, like a size six, skinny, no offense to anybody who is, you know, naturally slim or anything like that. Like, that's cool. I used to be like that. Um, and then and then I discovered how much I love donuts. But um, until they started coming in and being so aggressive, like I would I would present something as fact and I would just be like, here's what, here's what happened. Here's the thing he did. And, and, this mob just sort of shows up and they're just so aggressive and they're refusing to accept anything that is out with um, their their personal perspective. And it just made me irate to the point of, you know what? No, I'm doubling down now. I'm doubling down. I tried to be nice about it, tried to be respectful, but now, now I'm coming for you. Like, and I will find every dirty, dirty secret that man ever had. And I'm contacting archivists. I've got friends in research. I've got people who work for, like, the Heritage Society in the UK. Like, I've got people now who I know from, like, back when I used to, I used to write for this online feminist lifestyle magazine. So I have, like, a bunch of connections through that. Cool. And I'm like, who wants, to, well. who wants to discuss Churchill? And they're like, <laughs> I'm going to go to the documents and I'll be back. That's my now. It seems to be a mission of some kind. Like, <laughs> but no. Like when you mentioned that about the mob forms and appears, it seems like something that like it's almost it's like a fandom. As in, people become fans of these historical figures, so they literally cannot 
they will not hear anything negative about their idol, the person that they're a fan of. Which and the thing is, like you see the same happen with literally living political figures. Like people mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. be fans of politicians they're like you know a stan of a politician to the point that anything that is like you know a good criticism as in like that's what we're supposed to do we're supposed to hold our public servants accountable but if mm-hmm. like you if you raise something kind of hmm, this thing that they have a stance on it's problematic the fans mm-hmm. of that politician will be like coming with their like burning like pitchforks like i want to say Gemma doherty I think that's one of them. Uh, here's what happens. Um, sometimes, like, again, I forget things when they become irrelevant to me. So sometimes I forget her name and then she shows up in my TikTok or whatever. And I'm like, oh, what's oh, that thing one. has she done now? <laughs> but, um, oh, I actually have a great idea for uh, debates. You know, the televised debates? Mm-hmm. Well, because of COVID and anything now, I think we should just keep them in their own little plastic boxes, right? Just keep them in their little... <laughs> Like a you know, like a snow white coffin, but stand it up. But what we should do is when they the moment they do not answer a question or they try and talk around a question, we just mute them. Like so they're basically in a soundproof box where just nobody can hear them. Because if they're gonna talk nonsense, boop, I'd put me in charge of the button. I'd be like, boop, nope. Oh Leo, shut your mouth, boop. Oh, it would be that actually that reminds me of uh like the original like TV show Get Smart and then they did the film of it as well yeah. I learned that <laughs> that sequence especially in the film but like where they oh, they're all sitting around the table in their like, their booths like where like they're supposed to and they keep muting each other and like they're trying to talk and no one can hear each other I just love that but yes that idea of bringing it to those political debates would be so good especially as the moderators that they currently have for political debates particularly with the American debates but the moderators don't moderate they literally just sit there and allow the bad things to be said and it's like no you're supposed to moderate and kind of just mute mute them. them because it's because that's one thing like if you generally if you're going for that position of power the one thing you like to do is hear your own voice and you want other people to hear your own voice because you have an inflated sense of self-importance. And as such, muting them is the perfect thing because it just shows them how irrelevant they are when, like, I, in general, I think if you're, I think anybody who becomes a politician, if your job as a politician, either everything you own goes into a blind trust um, mm. or... Or, you know, or you just don't have any other occupation. Like, that's that's your choice. Um, Because you've got now where you have a conflict of interest when you've got here in Ireland, when so many politicians are landlords. And Mm -hmm. and I remember there was what Leo said. Leo, Leo did some good things, did some shitty things too. Uh, When he goes about, um, it was like, oh, if we capped the rent, the landlords would leave like they did in Berlin. And I'm like, yeah. That's what we want. That's what we want. (laughs) And then, guess what happens? The council and the government can have compulsory purchases. Ergo, more housing, affordable housing. Like I had to, I mean, I had, I moved back in with my mum recently, actually. Uh, And my kids are on a three-week-off split because we're, we're co-parenting and it's just the most logical thing because we're a kid's first approach. And we had to, so I'm I'm currently in the process of, of renovating my mum's house, mm. but 
if I didn't have this to fall back on, I'm incredibly lucky and incredibly privileged to have this opportunity um, because my family fought to keep. Uh, it used to be a farm, like in like 1901, but then uh, just you know, people left for work and stuff, and there was nobody here to run it, and it's just bog land now at this point, <laughs> and with houses on it, just totally safe, and right, uh, <laughs> but like, and but still like more privileged than than a lot of people like I saw the like there was a like like there was a photo posted I think on the independent yesterday of a four-year-old eating in a soup kitchen because they're in the temporary accommodation um and they've been there for over a year and it's like that doesn't really feel temporary if it's for over a year like you know it's just just and it's like, oh, we can't do construction. And I'm like, well, construction is actually one of the few things you can do while keeping a social distance, in fairness. Um, yeah. And it just, refusal to invest in affordable housing or renovate. How many high streets in this town have derelict buildings? In this town, in this country, sorry, have, yeah. have derelict buildings. And we could be, I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about regenerative regentrification or anything like that i'm just on about just making it livable yeah no 100 percent, exactly and like it's so like frustrating like and i think it's like a massive part of the problem particularly here in ireland and hopefully one of the things that's been i guess the blessing in quotation marks of the pandemic is the facilitation of so much kind of remote working is hopefully Mm -hmm. that means that because so much of the problem is that everything is city focused in Ireland with the infrastructure mm-hmm. that's being built with the homes that are being built it's all about all the work all the all the jobs are Dublin Cork Galway and maybe some midlands areas but that's really it so the homes have to mm-hmm. kind of expand from there whereas like if it's the, if we kind of change it and kind of be like you can work from anywhere there'd be more kind of homes built across the country Hopefully. <laughs> we also had the issue as well is that this is something that disabled people have been discussing for years. Yes. yes. Is the ability to work from home even even part part of the time. Because I, I, I had friends who I'm uh, like who have things like um fibromyalgia or um lupus and other restrictive conditions. And there's just so many things they can't do in places they can't work, but they would be able to work from home. And all of these companies said, it's impossible. We can't do it. And yeah. then this happens and it's going, oh, so you could do it. You just didn't want to. Yeah, and exactly. That's- and that's such, uh, whether it's like, you know, workplaces, but also colleges, like there's just so much ableism in the sense that like they won't make those accommodations for disabled people because they'll just say it's not possible. But no, it is possible. They're just refusing to invest in creating that ability. And the only reason that they have created it is because they were forced to. If the pandemic didn't happen, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be in a situation where most people are able to work from home. We wouldn't See, have had that change. <laughs> you've got somewhere like Tory Island, like just a little island off the coast, and they they put in their own fiber, and they they actually have now this this massive remote, well, massive for the island, remote mm. working hub, and people just started moving out there, and it just shows you you can have this in rural Ireland specifically if you just invest. Like they, they invested, I don't know how much money into putting um, uh, cycle tracks throughout the country because of. Oh, of RAS, which is like the Irish Tour de France thing. 
Yeah. Um, but like, and if you're doing that, why not lay, like do it all at the same time? Look down that, lay the fiber. Like if you actually just coordinated these things together, it's not rocket science. <laughs> the right hand just does not know what the left hand is doing. And guys, how are you going to clap? Like, come on. <laughs> just... <laughs> Oh, but yeah, I think that's it just feels like it's a uniquely Irish problem in the sense that nobody really knows what they're doing or things are happening without any kind of conversation with what other people are. Multiple things are happening sometimes at the same time, but nobody knows what is happening. It's just all up in the air. So I've got an NI card. So hmm. technically, because I'm I'm Scottish and I live in a border county, I could go get vaccinated in the north and I could get it done and it, but firstly, I'm not I'm not crossing the border for nobody. Nope. Uh, I, don't, I don't need to cause that risk. My mum is COPD. Um, so like it's just not feasible for me as I bring anything back. Because even obviously, once you're vaccinated, you can still carry a different strain. So it's not mm-hmm. really... But I'm very much like, as soon as the vaccinations come, I'm going to be like... Yeah, on, please thanks. stick whatever you have to stick into me. <laughs> like, I would be a guinea pig. It doesn't bother me. They've done enough testing. Like they, they have. You know, because the last thing they, they did this much testing on was the polio vaccine. You know what I mean? And it's been a while since then. So but actually going back to when you said that like, um, you know, being full of history facts and knowing history, there was actually it kind of jumps back to um, a question that I kind of had when I was like coming up with, you know, what I wanted to talk about with you when it comes to talking about history. But and um, basically an aspect of history, particularly cultural history that I myself am always kind of thinking about would be you know the history of art and media and you know you know that whole question when someone usually a man does something problematic do you think it's possible to be able to separate art from artist or to justify media existing as oh that media is from a different time as like as approaching from like history kind of perspective mm-hmm. like what's your opinions on that i think w- with a lot of pieces from history especially um say for example something that was made at, like at the breakfast club basically <laughs> like say for example the breakfast club was made in the 80s that would not be an acceptable film to make now because mm-hmm. a guy goes under a chair and puts his head up a girl's skirt without her consent um but again it was acceptable in the 80s. But but it's a very good way to understand the socialization and the perspective of the culture of the 80s and specifically in, you know, John Hughes, New Jersey. And for a lot of things like uh it's like the whole thing with Joss Whedon now. I can still go back and I remember my sociology lecturer like 10 years ago complaining about Joss Whedon and how and his issue was that it was always the pretty blonde that was the lead character. And I was like, but why shouldn't the pretty blonde be the lead character? Why can she not be pretty, fashionable and strong? Why does she only have to be this? Like, why can't she be the other two? Because, yeah. um, you know, I'm, stop fucking pigeonholing everybody. But, you know, kinda, he kind of had a point. Like, and it was always very much the same way. And like, say, for example what was acceptable from Joss Whedon when he was making Buffy was not acceptable when he was making Age of Ultron. You can see the same, the same manner and the same perspective, but it has not been updated. And as such, 
Like it's just not a good. Now I'll still watch it every now and again if I'm doing a chronological order, but like it's, it's not <laughs> worth your time generally. Um, but there are pieces of art and pieces of of media which we have to accept as existing. Um, like Picasso, for example, even though Picasso was trash. And um, yeah, even though he was trash, we can't ignore the existence of Picasso paintings and Picasso art because it's mm. that infamous. <laughs> we can't just be like, yeah, no, that never happened because it's mm-hmm. so culturally uh, infamous. Like, um, like anything by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, most of his most of his well, most of his best work was stolen from Zelda, but the majority of his fiction. Um, it's very much of the age, and you have to accept that. Mm-hmm. However, his non-fiction work, where he actually talks about the people that he knows and he's talking mm-hmm. about the cultural era, is absolutely fantastic. It's it's very on the nose, and it's it's perfect if you want to study, you know, those people in that era. It all depends on you whether you can separate art from the artist. And I don't think this is. Um, I don't think you can make a blanket statement around it because. Like, say, for example, I'll stand up and say I was wrong. I was wrong about Johnny Depp. When the allegations first came out against Johnny Depp, I'm of the opinion, generally, I will always believe the victim first. And I know that might not be the you know, what some people like. But in general, like, as a rule, women are usually victimised people. And when there was the evidence at the time was um, perpetuating this. And... As much as I, I loved Johnny Depp and, and, and his work, and but I, I, I couldn't watch anything he was in. I personally, when I believed he was an abuser, I physically could not watch anything he was in. And when, you know, the truth came out, I was like, oh, okay. And I, found, and I actually rewatched, I mean, some terrible movies, but some good ones. <laughs> uh, but I, I personally could not, I just couldn't. And, and again, I think it's very much in a personal opinion and a personal way to be and where you can separate it. Yeah, no, that's actually kind of you like, know? that's where I kind of like was kind of sitting on it myself that I think it really comes down to like how you personally feel, but also if you are kind of like of an affected group, like in the sense that for me now, as someone who's non-binary and part of the wider trans community mm-hmm. I'm never going to be like I like Harry Potter has been tainted for me because of the I like to say non-existent person that wrote those books but as in knowing that that's the person that those books came from like that entire thing has mm-hmm. been tainted for me like so I like can't I don't I no longer kind of find the enjoyment I used to have and I think it can be the same for a lot of people. Mm, when it comes to that person, <laughs> Swerf and Turf, I, uh, I found that it, there was actually an interesting discussion before the therapy stuff came out. There was a uh, this lesbian I know. She wrote um, her dissertation on um, in Harry Potter that Dumbledore being gay was very much an afterthought and she saw no inher- inherent homosexuality like homosexual traits of any kind, like because even from a, again from a cultural perspective, mm-hmm. there like because gay culture, queer culture, there's this whole um, I'm bi by the way I should probably throw that in there, <laughs> and um, like so, 
just in case it was like oh, straight white women talking about queer culture she can't say that no i'm, I'm bad it's fine um no, i'm in the club <laughs> it's fine i love that my hands up as well i'm like we're doing shit uh so uh it's it's very much uh and so she had this whole thing about you know in the end what she said was that it's not it's not their harry potter it's not the tariffs harry potter it's hers and I'm also of the perspective, I'm like, I don't buy any official merch or anything anymore. Um, I just refuse to. Uh, yeah. But I have, um, I find that things that exist additionally, like sort of the fandom stuff and things mm. like, uh, there's a musical uh, comedy trip called Team Starkhead. They have the Harry Potter musicals. They're fantastic. I very much enjoy them. And like all the stuff that's built upon that I find I can continue consuming but I have difficulty I have difficulty watching some of the Harry Potter stuff now but I do appreciate that a lot of the stars like Daniel Radcliffe um and Emma Watson and Watson and like oh did Ginger did uh Rupert he comes out and they're all just like, um, I think you'll find that uh, we don't accept this. And yeah, that was at least refreshing. Like, yeah, and like, and you've got like Jason Isaacs who played Lucius Malfoy is coming out and he's like, um, no, I don't, I don't assign to this. Thank you very much. Like, and it's all the people you wouldn't expect to be on the side of of against the turf, and they're coming out going, um, that'll be no. Me. yeah no exactly and I think like kind of circling back you're right it is kind of with Harry Potter like there is as you said there's that expanse of like the fan fiction there's like the stuff created mm-hmm. that's n- nothing to do with Rowling like it's yeah. Harry Potter adjacent so that's kind of different and a lot of that fan fiction and the Harry Potter fan fiction is queer like you know there's a lot of like yeah Fan yeah. fi- there's a lot of fan fiction story of Harry and Ron or you know stuff like that so and it you can kind of enjoy that this, and it, it actually gives a better perspective to the universe than is actually in the book and it's like here's the thing Harry is servant as a fucking brick like <laughs> t- were any Slytherins involved in the Battle of Hogwarts we don't know because Harry has no idea like Harry just doesn't pay like if it weren't for Hermione, they would all be dead. I mean, it's just oh, and and like see, this is and then people go into like that sort of like head cannons and stuff, and that's where I find sort of joy and solace um, is in those kind of twisty turns that lead away from the mm. terrify agenda. The the two, it's like all the signs were there, but we just didn't notice it because we were children, you know, when we mm-hmm. read the books and. Um, like the the twins, the Patel twins have no discerning characteristics apart from the fact that they are twins, but they're just not as funny as the boys. You've got um, Seamus Finnegan, the only Irish character who, character who keeps blowing things oh, up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Like, and then you've got the one black friend of the twins. So yeah. There's. I just. Exactly, but I think that is one of those things that you're saying when you re- and it's almost again it kind of like it's a form of history like but your own personal history in a sense mm-hmm. but like when you return to media that you've consumed when you consumed it at a completely different point in your historical personal 
experience, journey, whatever. Um, when you return to a lot of media, you're just like, and now through your lens of who you are now, you're kind of like, oh, oh no, like so much that I, it's like, oh no, that was not like, yeah, just, yeah, oh no. <laughs> I, I'm like that with um, Henry VIII. My initial perspective of Henry VIII and um, specifically how he he felt towards like Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn, especially. I, I had a, a very particular perspective. I was like, oh, well, he was in love. But then you realise as you get older that he's just a fucking narcissist. And as I keep saying, Henry VIII is a fuck boy with small dick energy. And um, I just... <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is, that's, that's fucking fantastic. <laughs> I love that. It's like, like, that's, it's just, and he's so obsessed. He's so obsessed with, he becomes hyper-focused on this, this concept. I'm, I actually think he had some form of ADD when you sort of read all the history about him. Not that that excuses any of the stupid shit mm. he did because he was a tyrant. Um, but, like it, it gives a greater perspective to I think the women of the era, and especially what I find it is is most interesting to me. So as you know, like LGBTQ history and um, like women's history, they're always known as specialist topics and specialist subjects. Mm. But if you talk about the everyman, that's a that's general. That's knowledge. a general, yeah. And that fucking pisses me off. And like this yeah. is what actually. Circling back to the initial question you asked me at the very beginning of the show was when it came to talking about history, one of the things I wanted to talk about was um, people in history that do, don't get their, you know, their, their time, who don't get their story told, and especially people who were, who were you know, screwed over in the past, like um, Alan Turing, for example, oh, who yeah. did Big so one. much, so much, and he was destroyed. Um, mm. And... I personally, I just I have a personal thing for cheering. It's just I feel for him so much. And like, say for example, when we discuss uh, sort of women and you know LGBTQ of of like previous eras and how if we look back at the actual information and we also take into consideration the perspective of the era because we have to look at it at, in a traditional lens and not Mm. in a modern lens because when you look at Anne Boleyn for example Anne Boleyn is always treated as this she's either a harlot or she's a feminist icon and honestly she's neither of those things it's it's surprising to people that we are multifaceted humans and the concept Mm -hmm. of her being both pious and also feeling a sense of duty but also maybe you know having an emotional connection to someone is is why can't she have all of these? Like, why isn't mm-hmm. that allowed? Just because she had something she wanted to do, it doesn't make her a feminist icon because we have to understand that she did what she did in the time in order to survive. And we can't judge Catherine of Aragon for, you know, wearing a horsehair vest or, you know, or in order to, for self-flagellation. But we, we can't, you know, blame... Jean Seymour, I mean, we can't denounce Anne Boleyn and then 
promote Jane Seymour when they both did the exact same thing, except Jane Seymour did it in a shorter amount of time. Again, the Tudor propaganda machine, it always shows Jane Seymour as the perfect, wonderful mm-hmm. Tudor Rose and Anne Boleyn as, well, they actually tried to erase her from history, which is why people are so obsessed with her, because mm. so much information was just removed. That's me. So, <laughs> as you can tell, I'm passionate about <laughs> stories being erased from history. Yeah, which, <laughs> yeah, no, and, like, that's why, like, you know, why I love what you do with your podcast as well, because, like, you're, because that is something that happens so much, and we need to kind of draw attention to the, the, that, mm-hmm. and it's, like, so true, like, when it comes to like, queer people and queer history, it's so disheartening, almost, and sad to think about how many people, like, historical figures whose queerness was removed from telling their story and it's like how many more queer ancestors did we possibly have that we just don't know about because that's removed and in the sense women were they were just friends not lesbian lovers or still you know just so mm. much of that is just yeah, like straight and straight and washed. Also, <laughs> yes and then you've also got the fact that we are socialized and conditioned to have the nuclear family for years so yeah. even if you had a particular preference you still had to go back and you know perform your duties in that manner as well but it, it's when it comes to like what you were saying is you know, like how much of it was a race. We, we also tend to erase, you know, anyone who we would now refer to as pansexual or sapiosexual or yeah. bisexual, um, omni, uh, gender fluid, anything like that, because it tends to be, oh, well, if they were with a man and now the women, they're the lesbian. You know, it would be, it's always seen as, One it's always the other. seen in that, that fashion like it's the concept of someone being attracted to more than one gender is especially in the past is seen as a it's just not seen as a thing it's kind of like in the victorian era they like like politicians didn't believe that lesbians existed because they couldn't understand that women would have sexual attraction like can you imagine trying to explain asexuality to people like um, I think I had a discussion with somebody and we were debating whether Queen Elizabeth I was asexual or if perhaps she was, you know, like gay or or whatever. And yeah, I was like, because she could have been. Like, there's just no document. Like, because like they're all, oh, well, she had a favourite person and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, but she was never intimate with anybody. So she very well could have been asexual and we don't talk about it. It's yeah. like people go, oh, well, there's no, there's no evidence for it. There's no evidence against it. Although personally, I believe that Elizabeth was just intentionally indecisive for the majority of her reign Mm -hmm. because she would like play one person off against the other to try and ensure she kept her alliances because, you know, she is very aware of how she was brought up and who her mother was. And, you know, she was raised between Catherine Parr and Anne of Cleves. And she, I mean, let's face it, her her uncle, kind of, eh, Thomas Seymour. We'll call him an uncle, right? Because that's the easiest way. Like he 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 tried to molest her when she was like twelve or fourteen, and it's like, well, maybe you can understand why she would have an aversion. Reservations. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know. Uh, so like, it's not. So it could have been like that, or she just could have been like, well, no, I've got trauma relating to this. Because like, we don't exactly we don't discuss trauma. We don't discuss. Um, we if we we can look back. There are some things we can look back with a modern lens when it comes to history, and that's things like mental illness. Mm-hmm. Like we can yeah. look back and go that's postnatal depression like we can look back and see you know certain things like that or this looks like um auditory hallucinations as a result of schizophrenia like we can look back and see things like that and we could also see when things were made up like um during the civil rights movement there was this rise of um black men 
being institutionalized against their will because it was seen basically it was seen that them believing that they should have rights was seen as a form of schizophrenia Oh, yeah, that's... and that was a whole, whole big thing, and and so you just saw all of these men of color just suddenly being like institutionalized. It was just this huge surge, and we can look back and go, "Well, that was bullshit." You know what I mean? And so we can use a modern lens, but like we also have to understand, you know, like for example, like I said before, with the women and their role in society and how they perceive themselves and how they had to survive. And the same with uh, queer folk. And then you've got, for example, when women went into male professions, like if they were, if they would cross-dress, shall we say, um, to become and, and be a doctor or whatever. And as a part of that, and generally we would be unaware as to whether they would, they were trans or whether they just wanted a position that was more befitting their their person you know mm. we because so much of that is a race we it's, don't have that knowledge yeah which is so sad the fact that there is so much history that we just don't know about or that we can never know about so much is left to speculation because of almost like deliberate attempts to kind of push a narrative by people that are in power that are trying to keep the status quo (laughs) exactly that are trying to keep their status quo and um actually there was one but i want to briefly touch on wrap up because you mentioned it about um uh, how people were kind of conditioned into that whole nuclear family and that kind of almost monogamy aspect is like uh like for for me like my polyamorous awakening I guess for lack of a better term (laughs) was I read the book Sex at Dawn by Christopher Ryan which is a Mm -hmm. fantastic book and basically is pushing the hypothesis that culturally and historically monogamy wasn't really the way that people did things it only came into an existence once basically agriculture and the idea of land ownership came into existence because once you owned land you needed to make sure that the person inheriting it was yours so Mm -hmm. it created this kind of monogamous thing of wanting to know who your offspring was whereas Mm -hmm. beforehand it was literally kind of more tribal and no there was no such thing as like this is my it was like all the kids were raised by everyone in the tribe and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. um you know from like a historical perspective do you think that that's the invention of this nuclear family of monogamy as being the only way like do you think that's purely kind of like a western historical thing or do you think it's like a global thing because like so much of global history is again colonialism (laughs) like you know Mm. well see that's it well a lot of it when you think of it is i mean that's what i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it missionary work is just another form of it's socially accepted colonialism so like you find as well that a lot of this would happen when you have the rise of christianity and it was it's it's a lot of it is promoted by them and and that sort of doctrine uh but you know and but you, you don't see it in um like other societies that and other religions but in in christianity specifically i think that's where a lot of it comes from And then there is this inherent obsession with heritage and lineage, which Mm -hmm. is my main issue. uh, It's like, it's why I'm always apprehensive when I'm online dating. And I was like circling back to me again, because I told myself. And it's like, when people say like, I want kids, I'm like, I I have, I don't want any more. Thank you. No. (laughs) And and I'm like, well, I'm like, okay, maybe I could have kids in the future, but I wouldn't 
like have kids I would adopt because I've produced enough children into the world I think there's only too many kids in the world and I added to the problem and I'm sorry but they're here now so you're stuck with them and and it's very much of the ilk of like you know we should adopt instead of because they don't want a family they want lineage and I think mm. this is very archaic and it's a very archaic perspective which is very much of I mean that's one of the reasons why Henry VIII that's why Anne Boleyn ended up on trial was because the only way that a, a queen could be arrested for treason was if she was trying to um, subvert the line of succession and hence the adultery charges. So, right, yeah. And things like that. And it's always very much of, you know, and this whole sort of Western concept of the seed is strong. When you look at African cultures and indigenous cultures of um, the Americas, there was a lot of respect and perspective, respect regarding women because pregnancy, they was seen as the powerful part. And that's why you have a lot of matriarchal societies that revolve around that. But it's this whole thing of people being obsessed with lineage. And that's why the nuclear family continues today. It's why it's seen as perfectly acceptable for silver-haired men to have as many offspring, um, to sow their seed where they may. But it's not acceptable for a woman to have children from multiple partners. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's seen as it's very it's very much seen as like oh that guy has three kids by like three different women okay and then it's like that woman has three kids from three different men it's like poor you know it's it's very much this although like talk about history and I'm like modern stuff is bad. <laughs> <laughs> But the reason that modern stuff is bad is it relates back to how we've been historically conditioned. So it all links into history. But it's that whole quote of those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. And uh, clearly that is the case. (laughs) Yeah, we're kind of seeing that happen. (laughs) And the thing is as well, like people are obsessed. Like people will read the headline, but not the article. You know, mm-hmm. they, people don't delve in and we are currently um, in a situation where we, you have, even on social media, you have like a quarter of a second to catch somebody's attention before they scroll on. And we are used to having everything instantly. So when you don't get that information instantly, you're not interested in it. Um, so, and that's why I think as well, we need to definitely change the manner in which we teach history. Mm-hmm. Like on like on TikTok, I'll do Sometimes it'll be a bit more dramatic and I'll tell a story like a princess Anne's attempt at kidnapping. Like you have to tell that information in 60 seconds or less. But if someone yeah. is particularly interested in a topic that I've discussed on that, on TikTok, I will then do a podcast episode, which is 30 minutes, there and thereabouts, just to be able to delve into the topic. But, you know, it's just... <laughs> yeah, no, like, um, I think uh, as like a, that feels like a kind of a good natural place to kind of like kind of start to wind things up in the sense that it's like that's kind of what we're hopeful for is this and change to the way that we do teach history Mm -hmm. as in I think that's kind of what I'm hopeful for anyway is that there is this change and I think it's an across the board education system wise in general but at the moment so much of the education system particularly like the leaving cert system in Ireland, but it, it is, it's so much as it's the exam based and it's less about actually educating. Like, why is this important? Like at the moment it's, mm-hmm. you're being taught this, 
because you need to know it in order to get the grade on the exam. Mm -hmm. Whereas we remove that incentive and it's like, you're being taught this because of its cultural significance. Mm -hmm. you're, you need to know this to understand how we got to where we are now as like a general society. And I think we need to change the way that we teach. And in a hope, if there is any such thing as being able to be hopeful for anything at the moment, <laughs> like that is kind of one of my hopes is that uh, we do kind of get to that point of change and I think I think there is you know evidence that we are going to get to that perspective mainly because like through TikTok and other kind of social media there's a lot more non-silver-haired men telling mm -hmm. history as yes. in so we're getting that historical perspective from different people from different cultures the people who haven't been able to tell their stories beforehand but now they're getting listened to mm -hmm. still being suppressed by the social media apps because that's what they love to do but it's mm. that kind of that change is happening as in it there's less slowly, interest but it's slowly, getting there very slowly but there does seem to be less interest in the silver-haired man history and more in the history of queer folk, of people of colour, like those mm. stories that have never really been mainstreamed before are hopefully being listened to more and getting told more. Mm -hmm. So what are, like, as a kind of like a two kind of, I guess, questions to kind of like close it off. And um, one thing, what is one thing that you're hopeful for, like, especially about when it comes to maybe around the area realm of history, but also just generally. And then currently, what is something that is just kind of gives you joy, something that gives you joy, especially during our current hellscape that the, is the world now, but what's something that gives you joy? So those two questions, and then we can okay. sign it off. <laughs> <laughs> Uh -huh. um, basically, I think that I think I'm just hopeful. I actually want to learn more, and I think that's what I'm hopeful for. Is I'm actually learning. Like I, I want to learn more about Persia and Mesopotamia, and um, I, I've put in a request to learn more about Native American cultures um, because you have to request that from them. You, and I wouldn't feel right doing anything without consent from mm -hmm. from them because of the manner in which they teach their history. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I'm, I want to learn. And that's what I'm hopeful for. I'm hopeful to be able to learn about other cultures. And, and if they say no, they say no. And that's, I can have to suck up and accept it, you know, and that's it. Yeah. Um, but something that brings me joy. This is going to sound silly. I'm actually, but I'm actually really glad to go back to work um, because I'm now seen as essential, which is, great and I think I'm just I, I I'm very hopeful I'm very hopeful that people actually take a step back and have some perspective on how we are right now and to try mm -hmm. and just not be dicks I feel like <laughs> yeah I think we need a lot more of that just <laughs> not be super hopeful and, that, and I think you know we're gonna, we are gonna come out the other end of this I mean mm -hmm. we may not be better we may, we may not be worse, but we're going to come out the other end. And that's when we really have to step back and take a look at ourselves and see where we're going to go from there. I like that. And I think it's a good resounding kind of final tagline. People don't be dicks. I think that's People don't good... be dicks. Oh, yeah. actually, one thing I'm looking forward to is being able to travel again and go to Dublin and be able to get <sighs> sourdough donuts because you cannot get sourdough donuts up here and it's making me sad. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a sourdough donut. This is something I'll have to change. <laughs> right. But yes, being able to travel beyond my current kind of vicinity. Yes. Definitely something mm -hmm. I want. I am yeah, this very This field much. is nice. Oh, this field. That field over there is also 
pleasant there's, there's a cow in it today like there wasn't the cow there yesterday like it's just <laughs> the novelties Hello, that we random have sheep like great <laughs> exactly but no <laughs> i just want to say thank you so much for coming on and talking with me this evening i've had a I wonderful time oh believe me i think we could not shut up for a much longer period of time but i think people would probably get bored after a minute like you know probably after two three hours maybe but probably. um probably but you know thank you so much for coming on and speaking with me i had a really wonderful time and we talked about a lot of really interesting topics and definitely there's i think a lot of what we talked about are things that could maybe be explored further in more expansive detail at a future point who knows but i just want to say thank you so much for coming on it was a pleasure speaking for to you before me. Before I let you go, is like, uh, do you want to just like plug your own podcast, like anywhere that people can like follow you, like on TikTok, Instagram, stuff like that? Okay, time for the spiel. <laughs> so, <laughs> hi, I'm Katie Charlie with the effervescent host of Who Did What Now, the history podcast that is not your history class. You can find me on most uh, podcasting apps. I'm on Podbean, I'm on Apple, I'm on Spotify. I'm a, you know, I'm difficult to get rid of. And uh, uh, new episodes are out every Tuesday. I also have a Patreon if you want to, you know, if you like my stuff and want to support me, patreon.com slash who did what now. Uh, I'm also on TikTok, Instagram and Facebook with who did what now pod and on Twitter with who did what now PD because there aren't enough characters for pod. So thank you. And thank you so much, Casey. Hello, listener. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. If you would like to be there for the next stop on this adventure, then please like, subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow my Instagram, which is mixbellmorrigan. That's M-X-B-E-L-M-O-R-R-I-G-A-N. And tell your friends that you too want help make the world a better place, one conversation at a time.